continue.
Bill or Bob Mumford? Bob Mumford. And a bunch of us then gathered around and he led us through that book, The Agape Road, because God is the agape God. Agape is God's love. And that's the love that Paul is speaking of in 1 Corinthians 13, the word agape. It's awesome. So he stops to make a very clear point to a very gifted church, very gifted church, and he says of this church to us, he shows us that this church had a culture of dramatic spiritual gifting and that they were very zealous for those gifts. And he stops to tell them what it's all about at the end of the day and to caution them against being immature in ministry and just making it about ministry. And says, hey, it's not just about ministry, it's not just about your gift or having a good time it's not just about your own personal enjoyment. He says it's about love and the edification of Corinth, the church at Corinth, that, that everyone would understand and grow and be unified and perfected in love and be pleasing to God. Isn't that amazing? So he thought it very important to pause and give us a whole chapter. I know if I'm talking to somebody and in the middle of my discussion, I think of something really important that I don't want to forget. It's usually like a sentence or a day. Oh, oh by the way, Tuesday, 3 o'clock, meeting. Okay, continue. Right? And Paul says, hey, I got like, how many verses do you give us? Verse 1 through 13. He gives us 13 verses, 13 sentences. Okay. So Paul wants us to know at the end of the day, right, when the Lord comes that only love remains. We're going to look and we're going to break these down. Only love remains. Faith itself and the prophetic gifts and our impartial knowledge, right, will cease when they reach their end, which is love. So all faith, all prophecy, all knowledge is unto the church growing in love for God and one another. That's what's, what's going to remain at the end of the day, is love. And that's part of the bride making herself ready. We were singing about some of this this morning. That, that preparation of the church as the bride is predominantly the love issue, right? It's not gifts. It's not callings. Gifts and callings will cease. They will be no more when Jesus returns. Ephesians 4, just one place, very clearly, there's other places. Ephesians 4 tells us, that gifts and callings will cease because they're unto the church being matured in love so that the church matured in love marries Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's about the church becoming the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and marrying the Lord at his return. This is Bible teaching. 1 Corinthians 13. So Ephesians 4 tells us very clearly, these things are temporary. Thus the reason we can't make it about the stuff right? It's temporary, so we can't stop at gifts and callings and make church about gifts and callings and everyone displaying what they have from God. That's not the goal. The goal is love. The goal is for the other. The goal is for the many, right? 1 Corinthians 13, this is Paul's agape discourse, his teaching on God's love. We're going to talk about three things here that Paul points out. If you study these 13 verses, you'll see three segments in them. Number one is you will see that Paul, this is amazing. Paul is showing us in 1 Corinthians 13 what love looks like. So let me say it this way. Paul is showing us what God's perfect love looks like in his imperfect people. Think about that. And please, please check, stay checked into this. This is important. God's perfect love, flawless, infallible, without fault. The perfection of God's love, we can't even fully comprehend it in this life. But we get to scratch the surface of it together and live it out, learn to live it out, right? That's what, that's what church is. It's family. We're scratching the surface. Our knowledge isn't complete yet. We see in a mirror dimly. It's only partial, and it's temporary, and we're just scratching the surface. The love of God, John 3.16, I mean, 
when you look at some of these verses, you just feel so weak to begin to get it. And that's because we can only get it together. Ephesians chapter 3. There's one way to get this thing called love. And it's not in my prayer closet. And it's not in the pulpit. And it's not in my office. It's in marriage and church. The two families. And that's that's the book of Ephesians. Explicitly what he's getting unto. Marriage and family are the focal points of Satan's attack. Ephesians 6, right? That's what we're standing guard over. Marriage, family. Look at the assault on a heathen in our day. So we get to do this together, and it's the only way it happens is together. In Ephesians 3, that with all the saints, we comprehend God's love. It's together. Through all of our challenges, our wrestlings, our strugglings, our, our learning to be complete and love for one another, see one another rightly, right? Run with one another, cheer one another on. So number one, let's just read it real quick. Paul's going to tell us what the perfect love of God looks like in imperfect people. Love is patient. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Because I feel Stu nudging me to read this in the Amplified. Love endures long. He, he actually read this probably a month ago. I'm going to read it again. Verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, self-seeking vanity. Look at me. Does not display itself haughtily or arrogantly with a proud heart. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It takes no account. There's no notebook with the list of things that were done to it. That's intense. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Hey, I've suffered. We've all suffered wrong. And it hurts. It stings. It cuts. Right? And it can settle on you for some time. Whether intentionally or unintentionally from the other, it can still sting and just sit there for a few weeks, a few months. passage right here. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. That's so serious. Love bears up. God's love in us is meant to cause us to bear up bear up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Maybe one of the biggest ones in there, this one. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. To recognize no one in the flesh, like Paul says. Right? To see everyone as what Christ has meant them to be. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Wow. And he continues his thought with number two, that faith, prophecy, and knowledge will be done away when Jesus comes. Because faith, Paul says, I believe in Romans, faith will be made sight. Right? Right now, in this season of our existence, right? This age, this temporary season,
season of life, because we're all born again, we're going to live forever. This age of experience in this world, as it is, is temporary. And right now we have faith, right? And we're doing all we know how to do to keep faith alive. <laughs> A lot of days. I mean, because our lives are just, and that'll never end. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that we are always like this, right? We're growing and maturing in faith and hope and love, which means we'll become more and more steady if we say yes to Jesus, even though life will never stop doing this. Your life is never going to be still waters for the rest of your life. You'll have seasons of that still water experience, and you'll have seasons of the valley of the shadow of death, where it feels like you're going to die if you can't go another day in the season you're in. But it's all working for our good. And in this life, we have faith. We're just, we're just reaching in faith. You know, we're so weak. You know, we, it, it takes, it takes real humility and weakness to read words on a page and believe and claim unashamedly that God is so sovereign that He gave this word that's infallible. This is his eternal word that will never pass away. And that he gave this to us. This is insanity to the world. I had a conversation about this recently and was scoffed at about it. Just It's appalling and offensive to some to claim that this is God's word. That these are the utterances of his mouth, right? In former times, God spoke through prophets. In the last days, in, in chapter uh, Hebrews, book of Hebrews, in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. And the words are in the book. In our faith, we're so weak. We're reading words on a page that we can't fully see yet, can't fully comprehend. But by faith, we know it's the truth. I mean, what do you do in the weakest moments? You open this thing up. You break yourself on the rock. It's like the disciples in your worst moment. To whom shall I go? He heads words of eternal life. These are the words of everlasting life. I have nowhere else to go. There's no psychiatry, psychology, education on earth that can profit me and keep me moving in faith as this word can that we call the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. That's serious. That's 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 faith. We have faith. We see in a mirror dimly. We don't we don't have sight yet. We don't see the fullness of what this is talking about yet, but we will. Every word, every promise in the Bible, every prophecy in Scripture will be fulfilled either in this age or in the age to come when Jesus returns. That's our faith. He's our blessed hope. Amazing. Prophecy will be, so faith will be made sight. Paul says this. Prophecy will be fulfilled. There'll be no need for prophecy in Jesus' time. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And our impartial knowledge, what Paul means, uh, there's some different views on this, but when Paul says knowledge will be done away, he's not talking about all of our knowledge of the truth, right? All of our accurate knowledge. He's talking our impartial knowledge, just the fragmentary knowledge we have in this age because we don't see the full picture, even in our teaching, right? James says, hey, let not many of you even presume to teach. Like, that's a frightening passage, because we don't get the whole picture. And God forbid we claim to have the whole picture. <laughs> the whole picture's coming, and he'll bring it, right? He'll bring it to all nations. He will manifest his glory, his purpose through the church in the age to come. His kingdom will fully come. A whole other doctrine there. But these three things, faith, prophecy, and knowledge will be done away. That's the second thing Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 13. And then number three. I've looked at these passages for years. These two passages we're about to touch on. I've thought a lot on these. So the third thing Paul, uh, Paul is pointing out in verse 11, 10, 11, and 12, is Paul is pointing out the issue of maturity and immaturity. Right? Open the message with a little bit of this, but we'll go a little deeper here. Maturity and immaturity, Paul is pointing out. We've all read this passage, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now that I have become a man, 
I am done away with childish ways and have put them aside. So part of what he's getting at is that maturity is laid out in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He said, let me, let me tell you, there's a difference. There's maturity and immaturity in your life, in your ministry, in the church. And here's maturity, pursuing love. And he says, let me tell you what, or, or give you an obvious overview of what immaturity would be. It would be pursuing ministry, pursuing gifts, right? Many of us get saved. We're just as zealot. No wisdom at all. No life experience in God. Just as zealot, right? I was so Maturity is pursuing love and edification. That's what Paul's getting at. We talk a lot about that. Immaturity is, is simply pursuing gifts in ministry, right? And there's, there's, there's such sincerity in that in the beginning, but it's not maturity. So what does God do? When you're really sincere, but you're not mature, he deals with you. He humbles you. Various ways. And he doesn't apologize because he's a good father and he knows what's best. So immaturity would simply be pursuing the gifts and ministry opportunities. You know, for years I just couldn't wait for that day. Right? And then that day comes and it's nothing like you thought it would be. It's actually a cross because he dealt with your self-seeking. So ministry isn't even self-serving anymore. Like, um, God forbid I'm here to fill space and make noise. Because I'd rather be there. And that's the truth in my own soul before you right now. I don't have self-seeking in this. In fact, I haven't even talked for many years. And I was okay with that. But the point is, he deals with that because he wants maturity. Amazing when God deals with you over a period of years, not days, years, and He brings you through depth to self. That when He fulfills what you once thought life was all about, it's not even self serving or self seeking or self pleasing anymore. It's a cross. Right? You get born again, you get zealous, and you want to be in ministry, at least you think you do, and then God takes you through brokenness and He puts you in ministry. And it's not about you anymore. You'd almost rather not even do it because it's just not about you. And it's just, ugh. <laughs> Sometimes. Don't, don't misunderstand that, ugh. I'm getting at just the self-issue. The self-issue. In maturing in love. That if we are to minister the word or release the gifts in the body, it has to be about the other. It has to be honest, sincere, pure-hearted, for their welfare, right? For the other's good and benefit. So in this maturity, immaturity point that Paul is making, he's making a very clear, hard fact that we can have all the gifts, all faith to remove mountains, in Revelation, second to no one on earth, in the modern language, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, you could have the greatest anointing, second to no one on earth. You could be casting out demons, right? Moving mountains, performing miracle signs, wonder, wonders. You could have the greatest faith. You could have insight into the book of Revelation, Daniel, the prophets, things yet to be fulfilled. He says you could have it all 
makes a point. You can have all that, Joseph, without love. That's terrifying. It's terrifying because Jesus also makes a comment about it. In Matthew 7, a Bible verse that we don't stay on long, he says, there will be people at his coming that cry out to him, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus, wait, hold on, settle down, settle down. I cast out demons in your name. I gave prophecies to people in your name. Settle down, sir, Lord, Master, you're scaring me. And there are some, some, who will say that as their basis for salvation, their basis for justification before Jesus' eyes. That's crazy to think that someone can live their whole life thinking that's their way in, right? Without the central issue Jesus points out in Matthew 7 is love, by the way. He says, depart from me because I never knew you. You never knew me. And that word is intimate love, affection, experiential knowledge of Jesus and him having experiential knowledge of you, meaning I let him into my life to deal with me. No matter what it looks like or what I have to go through, I let him in to change my life and not lead me where I am. Right? That's what the, what he's getting at there is many will never let him in but serve him. Many will perform gifts, right, without the love, the intimacy with God. It's serious. So Paul is pointing this very principle out that it's all about love at the end of the day. It's not about casting out demons, prophesying, healing the sick, getting people saved. Those are all good. But you've got to be doing them in love and for love. All right. What time is it? Okay, good. Just go another 10 to 15 at most. I want to seal this off, and then Pastor Wesley is going to continue from here. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 14 going to talk quickly just about order. It's so funny. You, you, as I was preparing this, you say the word order, and it's just, it's almost just like, and it's, it's so not the point. It, it's a discomforting word because of its worldly connotation. We think law. If, when you think the word order, the, the truth is, I'd, I'd say all of us, but certainly most of us, and that includes me. You say order, and the natural feeling, even in your physical body, is like this. You know, just this little bit is there. And why is that? Because we're being freed from law. We're being freed from that legal dynamic of relating to God. We're not even under law anymore. He fulfilled it for me because I never could, right? And he's not saying, do this or look out. He's saying, hey, here's the way of love. Here's the way of love. So order is L-O-V-E. So we're going to talk about uh, two things. And it's, I, I love this because this church is this. We, we have this stuff going on for real in such an awesome way. I am not correcting anyone in anything I say today. My conscience is clear. There's nothing to be corrected. <laughs> There's nothing here to be corrected. I'm just going to point out, really, what we already do, and that it's in the Bible so you can say, hey, this is, this is real. Like, Paul talked about this. The church at Corinth was doing this. Other churches were doing this. We do this. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. So, to start with, we'll talk about tongues and interpretation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. Paul says, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So he gives us four ways to interpret a tongue, right? So, um, and I would say this too. There's a couple of sides of the road on this chapter, right? But I think the side that we probably all stand on is that when Paul says, 
speaking in a tongue, he's primarily speaking about like up here publicly to people, giving a message in a tongue, right? And then he says, how will that profit anybody or edify if I don't bring a revelation, knowledge, teaching, or prophecy to interpret that tongue, right? And so from up here, you know, really the only one here who functions in this gift to the body would be Kale. I just want to point it out because it's a fantastic gift. It's the Lord, right? And Kale, when he speaks to us in a tongue, you might say, what in the world? Who is he? Or maybe you said that until you meet him, right? You'll find out he's a man like we are, loves Jesus, number one. Number two, that you find out what he's doing is in the Bible and we have to learn. We have to just say, okay, what is this? So this is the gift of tongues and interpretation. That's the core issue. And elsewhere, verses 2, uh, I'm sorry, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, hey, if someone stands up publicly and gives a message in a spiritual tongue, he says, teach them not to do it if they don't have interpretation or until they have interpretation so that we can all hear something, so that we all kind of know what's being said. The other thing is this. I should say this as well, because this has happened a few times too. Marie has given a tongue up here, and someone else has interpreted. I think one time I had an interpretation. I believe uh, Pastor Wesley had an interpretation one time. This, it's happened a few times, so that happens too. So sometimes it's like it's a faith thing, right? You know, Marie wasn't interpreting, but she had the tongue. And someone else seated, which is this is in here too, had an interpretation. I remember the first time I saw that happen, um, some of us in the room know um, uh, Kirk Winters, who's the pastor of the Rock Church in Bangor. Well, he first launched a church in Portland, and I used to go to that church when I was first saved. I went there for a couple of years while I was at the youth store. Thing used to be up here on the TV screen. I was in an internship, and we'd drive up to Portland about an hour to go to his church. It was an awesome church. And I had never seen this happen before. And the way it happened was like the way of Marie. There was a woman who was seated, and worship was kind of coming to a close, and it was weighty. It was like you could feel like the weighty presence of God in the room, and you knew everyone felt it. It was a really, I'll never forget this church service. It was just so recognizable that there was a sense of awe in the room, a fear of the Lord, quite honestly. And this woman erupted with a tongue, seated. She just stayed in her seat, and it gives me chills to think about it. You could, you could see naturally when the Holy Spirit came on her like she was gripped. And the, the deep spiritual just echo that came out of her spirit from God was like it, gave, it put shivers in you when she gave this message. And then there was another woman who was seated, who stood up, shot up out of her seat, and, and stayed still, and interpreted in English. And it was just, it increased the atmosphere all the more in the room. It was so intense. So those are just a couple of examples of just practically how that looks and plays out here, elsewhere, and yes, in Corinth. So again, you know, uh, when Kale interprets, sometimes he interprets with a prophetic word. Sometimes he interprets with more of a declaration or a prayer or an exhortation. But the fact is, as he's uttering something by the spiritual language, he's giving English language to it. And Paul says, aim at that. doesn't mean you never do it without it. It means we grow. We just say, okay, the end would be all right, I, I want to interpret this or get an interpreter so that everyone hears what's said because God God gave that tongue to do this to us, to bolster us together. That's why he wants English because it's going to go and get into the fabric of our beings to work with God. Awesome. 
you are zealous for spiritual gifts, verse 12, seek to abound for edification. It's kind of like pursue love, desire to prophesy. It's kind of the same thing. He's saying, hey, if you're zealous for spiritual gifts, make sure you pursue love, edification. So you're zealous, pursue edification, which we do here so well. There's such a purity here. Verse 13, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that they may interpret. Okay? Or have an interpreter. There's always been some form of that here. Awesome. So, to end this piece on, uh, on tongues, and then we'll go to prophecy and end. To end this little segment, just to be clear, Paul was not saying, don't speak in tongues. Paul was not saying, don't speak in tongues. Because he ends this chapter saying, do not forbid to speak in tongues. And he adds, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. For unbelievers, not for the believer. Prophecy is a sign for the believer, not for unbelievers. So we have to function in tongues, in a spiritual language. Okay, moving on to prophecy. Let's look at verse 24. Talk a little bit about this and we'll end. Uh, th these are two of my favorite passages right here. Verse 24 and 25. But if all prophesy, that's because in this chapter Paul says you all can prophesy. Right? We saw some of that this morning. Glory came forth with a burden of the heart of God she was revealing something from the heart of God that was on her heart and moving her spirit, her soul, and she put that forth. Right? Jay came forth and declared some of the attributes of God to us prophetically. Right? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's what Jay was doing. He was revealing the man Christ Jesus in his nature. And I want to just say to everyone in the room, I felt there were some more people in the room who could have brought some stuff forward. That's why I was given some time. It's important, like, you know, too often in my own experience, and probably all of ours, like, Jay could have just said, ah, all I have is, you know, this. Stuff like this. We, we, we wait for this huge, like, revelatory thing before we speak, and we just can't do that because the Bible says we got to move in faith. Faith pleases God. So I'm not waiting to understand everything that's going on inside of me before I say it, right? And I'm not going to say, well, this is a big word, this is a small word. I'm not going to say it as a small word. No, it doesn't matter how long it is. Jay came forward for 60 seconds, and I, I tell you right now, in my own testimony to that, that was, that was a word of the Lord. God conveying his attributes to us so we can trust in him. He's our redeemer. He's our faith. and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters. He is convicted by all. Wow. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among them. We're going to see that happen. That, that, this this happened in the first century church and of course it happens in other churches but we are going to see this can you, can you imagine how glorious that would be they're just because we we function in this as a community like we have a culture of the prophetic here and it's not always tongues and interpretation and it's not always the testimony well actually i would say it quite regularly is the testimony of jesus the prophetic spirit is predominantly the revelation of jesus christ it's conveying his nature and his purpose, what he's like and what he's going to do. And we have so much of that here on worship. We have such prophetic anointing on worship. A lot of the prophetic worship and songs we use, it's the testimony of Jesus. He is the prophecy of the ages. It's him.
he's the story of all stories. He's the song of all songs, right? He's the message of all messages. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It's him. It's him. He's our greatest message. He's the glory of the Father. And he is our lifter, lifter of our head. He's our glory. Right? Psalm 13. He is my glory and the lifter of my head. Come on. So predominantly, you know, the cultural dynamic here is this testimony of Jesus. You know, Jesus, you're good. You hear somebody shout to worship, or maybe you just agree in worship, and you just say, God, you're awesome, you're good, you can do everything. Nothing's impossible with you. That's prophecy. He's declaring out who Jesus is and what he's like. And it says that that culture will bring conviction on unbelievers, right? It's not like arm-twisting to get someone saved. It's the atmosphere in the room is changed by the prophetic anointing. And people are convicted by all, it says. Everything going on in the room has created a heavenly dynamic that's not of this world. And unbelievers say, holy smoke. And they're struck with conviction that this is the truth. This Jesus, that's how I got saved. I got saved by the testimony of Jesus. I got saved because of a cultural dynamic in a room over time, over a year. Day I got saved was because I finally said to myself, "This is this Jesus is real. He's true." Because He touched me in that atmosphere, and I knew He was real that day. I knew He was. Everyone told me was for 12 months, but I thought they were crazy. Share a couple of stories. 
I've known Josiah, right? Everyone knows Josiah. I don't need to say his last name. Everyone knows him. Josiah from New Hampshire. I've known Josiah for 20 years. This year, 20 years. I've lived with him for 10 years. Functioned in ministry with him for 10 years. Day in and day out living life together. And I've known Pastor Wesley for uh, 19 years, but for eight years, I knew her day in and day out because she was around the youth school community for all those years. And we had like three prayer meetings a week. We had prayer furnace. We had prophetic events. And so, you know, I have so much history with Josiah and Wesley um, in ministry and just growing together. And it's, a, it's just been such a cool story of life together, but I think way back, and you know, we've always functioned very well together in this way, so what I mean by that is this, you know, back in the day, and even now, I'll explain too, but back then, you know, um, most people know Sean Foster, who is the overseer of the entire ministry of Crossing Churches, Blue Storm, and the founder of all of these ministries. You know, from the get-go, he he taught community life and biblical protocol and order of life together. So we learned very young kind of how to function together. And, you know, if I was overseeing, because I did for a few years, I oversaw the prayer furnace that we had there. So if I was overseeing prayer furnace as overseer, right, the one responsible for the gathering, not law and order. It's not what an overseer is. An overseer is a leader. Love and order. I'm not there to do it all. I'm there to just oversee. To just give some leadership to it if necessary. You know, whenever everything's smooth, just let it flow. It's the Lord. So if I was overseer, regardless of the fact that Josiah was also overseer of ministry things and had a role to play, right? In that environment, if he had something, right, he would come to me and say, hey, bro, what are you feeling? I'm feeling this. And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, I'd say, awesome, go for it, <laughs> right? 0.1%, literally, would be, uh, let's hold on just a little bit. I just feel like, let's just wait a little longer and see what comes forth out of this worship. That's an example, right? But he would regard the fact that I was overseeing that meeting. And vice versa. If Josiah was overseeing a prayer meeting, which we alternated a lot, even though I had oversight, right, and a responsibility in other prayer meetings, if he was overseeing that prayer meeting, I would defer to him, right? Unless he said, hey, if anyone has anything, go for it. I just say, hey, bro, um, you know, I feel a word or I feel this direction. What do you think about that? And to this day, I do that, just so you know. Like, unless it's exhortation, like, you'll see sometimes I'll go like this and talk to them. That's because those few times I didn't feel like an exhortation to bring. I felt like I had some words for people, so I was like, is now a good time or not to do that? I just brought that to her. And there's freedom to flow in this, because... Right now, we all know each other, right? But the church will grow, and there'll be more people who don't know us on the level that we know each other, right? And so the issue is modeling a culture. It's not right, wrong, fail, pass. It's culture. It's just flow so that as the church grows, they see us relate to one another in this way. And they'll say, oh, just open mic here right now and that's fine but what we're aiming at guys and hear this correctly i'm not talking about right now i'm talking about down the road is what's important you know if, it, if this whole room were full we had five of kale right awesome yeah but four out of five won't do it the way kale's does kale does it because they just got saved or maybe they're a year or two saved, and 
they're just not at the maturity level yet to discern a word, if it's for now, how it should be given, if it should be given, right? So we want five of his type of prophetic ministry. It's very, it's very distinct what he has. We want more of it. I want more of it. Um, so we're aiming down the road. We're getting ready for harvest. And we're going to need to teach people with prophetic gifting. Coach them big time, for sure. Because those gifts, prophetic gifts, can do a lot of damage if you don't have leaders to go to or you're not willing to go to leaders. You're probably mostly going to confuse people, right? Bewilder people, maybe discourage them, get them in fear. I've seen this too many times. Way too many times. So prophetic people need to be harnessed and trained, right? That's what we're aiming at, is modeling something. That there's leaders, there's authority here. We regard one another, right? We discern things together. And also, um, at the house of prayer. It's vice versa, right? I, I'm the overseer of the house of prayer, right? And all the time, even though I would never question Wesley's character or ministry at all, but she does still come to me, just as I always did to her and Josiah, and, and always will if I felt a directional change in the room. I want a witness on me. I want out of the mouths of two or three, the Bible says, let every word be confirmed. So I love, um, whether it's Stu, Kale, Wesley, you know, if there's prophetic stuff, what do you feel? How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? If you've got something, go for it. And they may say, no, you go for it, because it sounds like you've got clearer on it. But it's teamwork. And you could say, no, we don't really need to learn about this. Well, we do, especially if growth is coming and harvest is coming. We've got to learn to function. So order is love, but it's also communication. It's just communication. It's not correction. It's humility. It's, I don't have the full picture. I, I know in part, even in a church service, I know in part, right? So, so we always flow together very well like that. Like, if she's overseer, I'm submitted to her. If I'm overseer, same to me. If Josiah's overseer, vice versa. And there's no, there's no problems with that. There's no competition, right? It's just, it's just biblical protocol. And then one last story would be, I want to use these as examples. These are so important. Um, you know, if you want to develop prophetic ministry and gifting, these stories are just life experience and they're so helpful to teach from. Um, so those are kind of a couple examples uh, within the four walls of the church and within the ministry altogether. Um, and then a couple of stories for like the house of prayer type setting or like uh, Monday nights here, you know, more of a, a prayer corporate setting that's not a church service, but just a gathering of believers for prayer and proclamation and worship. I want to just share some stories. So, you know, again, true ministry and leadership isn't about you if you're in it, and it can't be has to be about others, and it has to be about God's plan, and who does God want to use, and how does he want to use them, and I always love reading John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase, that's leadership, right, the Messiah comes, and the greatest prophet known to man, Jesus says so, said of himself, there's one greater than me coming, and I'm getting out of his way, and he's Lord, and I want his plans and purpose, and so that's, that's what we're doing here. So a couple of times at the House of Prayer have been moments of obvious, like prophetic ministry, where we were in House of Prayer mode, worshiping, praying, and there's just a grace of the Lord there that's discernible to prophesy over people with personal prophecy. And so the first time this happened, such a cool story, is earlier this year, and Cale was there, he was sitting in the back, and for probably 30 minutes, I knew, and it's just a gift of discernment, I knew right here in my spirit, not, not here, here, that 
God had something for Kale to bring. In, in by way of the gift of prophecy, I knew it. And so I just waited for a good half hour or so until it was time to transition out of worship into that mode. And there's timing on it. Just letting God be God and then move in the gifts. Move in faith. So I remember talking to you after this meeting because he said I wasn't aware of it at all until he came forward. So it's just different ways of how this stuff works. But again, if he just if he just thought like if he saw me by the flesh, I was like, yeah, I know Joe. But no, he he obviously took my invitation to come forth as the Lord, and not like it was this big act of submission. It was just by faith he stood and came forward, even though he didn't necessarily feel what I was feeling. And what did he do? If you were there, he gave prophetic words to every single person in that room. And there were people in that room I know had never received prophetic ministry before. Probably half a dozen people. And they were struck. And I have a prophetic gift in calling. I didn't prophesy over anybody. But that's leadership. And that's discernment. And it is a measure of maturity because I don't have to be the one to do it. And that night I knew I wasn't. And so I just followed the spirit in that. Kale was to minister to everyone in this room. I knew it by faith. He was willing to come forward. And as soon as he stepped into that, everyone got so struck. We saw it last week as well, right? So that's just an example. So there's times where maybe it's just not time to give a word, but that's okay. That night it wasn't time for me to prophesy. That's okay. It's not about me. It's about love. <laughs> right? It's about the edification of the people. So let them be edified in the way God sees fit. I'll get right out of the way. And someday you might have to do the same and not take it personal and not feel like, oh, well, I want to be seen. I want to be known. God will test you and grow you in that. And as we grow in it, we have more anointing. He gives us more. He can trust us with it. That it's not about me. That it's about him. And if you want to use him that night solely, good. Rejoice. He's so awesome. And then last week, uh, at the House of Prayer, we prophesied together. Right? And just to give one last example before we end. And this may happen sometimes, right? As overseer, we were already at 8.15. It was, it was awesome in the room. It was, I can tell you a story, but we'll save it for later because you know everyone wants to eat. It, let's just say it was awesome, really awesome this week, a really special week. And at 8.15, there's just a little bit of order teaching is Nicole's leading worship. We're already 15 minutes over. No one wants to quench the spirit, and no one's gonna, because no one wants to, right? We're always so afraid, like, don't quench the spirit. You know, let him go for an hour on each person. Well, no, and that's not quenching the spirit if we go three minutes each, right? And so that's what I said to him was, hey, let's go one to three minutes for every woman in this room. I prophesied over all the women in the room. It was such a prophetic word for women. There was people got touched. There were such clear words given. And we didn't quench the spirit by going for one to three minutes. It's okay. Quenching the spirit is an intentional act of a religious spirit to silence the prophetic voice. That's what quenching the spirit is. Quenching the spirit isn't saying, oh, we're a local church. There's a little house business to do. Let's just make it brief. Three minutes maximum on each person. And he and I did that. So each person's got like two to six minutes. And that's plenty for the Lord to speak and bless somebody. Everyone got prophesied over, and he honored that, right? He might have had more, I might have had more, but it wasn't the point. The point was, Nicole's leading worship, she's willing to, to go out longer. And if you remember, there was twice I asked Nicole, out of order, right, protocol, hey, Nicole, are you good? Because we were just flowing. And I asked her twice to respect her time, you know? So that's just part of just regarding others and being sensitive to people, time, agenda, right? Sometimes we're so super spiritual, we think our agenda grieves God, right? Gets in the way of God. Well, it can, but that is so not the culture here. So yes, we have an agenda we're going to follow and get some stuff done, unless God drops bombs, which he does, and he has here many times, but otherwise we're just going to go forward, 
Joe's going to babble at you about spiritual gifts. You know, to, to, to sell this off. I'm not quenching the spirit doing so. So, amen. Those are some stories. Lord, we love each other in this room. You're awesome. Everyone's so gifted here. There's so much of this reality. We're talking about love and prophecy and faith. Lord, bring us forth in maturity, in love for one another, in regard for one another, Lord. In regard, just deferring to one another, learning teamwork, having fun together, Lord. Not threatened by one another's roles at all, at all. We thank you, Jesus. Grow us in love in Jesus' name.